We're going to wrap up this run of messages that we've called So. You want to be rich. And Andy Stanley and Craig Rochelle have resourced my study and my preparation of this message, this whole run of messages. Many thanks to those guys. And it's taken us a chunk of weeks to plow through these four messages. We're landing this run with a message that I call the test. The test. And I'm calling it the test because what's true is that right here, right now, God is testing every single one of us. Right now, as we live this life that God's given us, he is using money and wealth and riches and our stack of stuff to test us to see if we're capable of not just handling material blessings, but seeing if we are capable of handling the most important true blessings and riches from God himself, spiritual riches, spiritual blessings. He's testing us. And he wants to know if we can handle the real deal. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, you could turn there in your Bibles if you'd like. Jesus outlines this test for us. Luke 16, verse 10 and 11. Here's what Jesus says. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven. In other words, see, God is very, very interested in knowing whether or not you and I will pass the prosperity test. God is testing us, and the test goes something like this. If you can steward your resources well in a way that honors and pleases God, then God can trust you to steward his eternal spiritual resources. Because the stewardship of our financial resources is indeed a litmus test for how well we will steward God's spiritual resources. Think about it like this. Billy Graham, perhaps one of the greatest evangelists of all time, he didn't start out filling some of the world's largest venues and seeing tens of thousands of people flood the stage area at his invitation to yield their lives to Christ. He didn't start out that way. Instead... Billy Graham started out stewarding well every single little thing God had entrusted to his care. And he proved himself trustworthy over and over and over again. And so God trusted him with more and more and more. I had lunch with a friend and his wife this week. And these folks obviously have the spiritual gift of giving. It's just blatantly obvious. And it was so amazing to hear them talk about how God has blessed them time and time and time again in so many ways. And you step back from that conversation and you sort of go, why is God choosing to bless them? It's because he's tested them, and he's tested them time and time and time again, and he's determined that they can be trusted with more and greater responsibility, including spiritual wealth. But in all candor, those friends I had lunch with this week, they're the exception to the rule, because honestly, most of us do not pass the test of prosperity. And so for us today, in the days ahead, the question becomes, will we handle well every single thing that God has given us? Will we pass the test of prosperity that most people in the United States of America and worldwide do not pass? Today we want to talk about how to pass God's test of prosperity. Have you ever heard the phrase, money changes people? Raise your hand if you've heard that phrase. Yeah, lots of us. Lots of us have said it. Lots of us have thought it. Money changes people. And it's a true phrase isn't it? It's absolutely true. Money changes people. It just does. But have you ever heard anybody say, money changes me? Have you ever heard anybody say that one? Money changes me. 
But it does, doesn't it? If it's true that money changes people, then that means money changes us as well. And then when it comes to the changes that money makes on people, on us, we have two options, really. Money can change us for the better, right? Or money can change us for the worst, can it? Here's how this goes, typically. If a person does not know God very intimately, most of the time, money changes them, us, for the worse. It can make people arrogant and proud and overly confident and rude. And You've seen this, haven't you? Rude and selfish and demanding. We've talked about this over the course of the past few weeks. People with more typically give less and are more selfish, are more materialistic. They spend more of their hours pursuing the things of this world. Money changes people, us included, for the worst all of the time. We could cite example after example after example. But check this out. People who walk closely with Jesus Christ do not have to be changed for the worst by money. Instead, people who walk closely with Jesus can be changed for the better by money. Money can and should, see, make us more humble, shouldn't it? Money can and should make us more grateful. Money can and should make us more generous. Money can and should give us a divine sense of heavy responsibility because our stewarding of these worldly, earthly resources are indeed God's litmus test for the real spiritual blessings that he wants to bestow on every single one of us once he knows that we can be trusted, which is why what I'm about to tell you is so incredibly important. And here it is. The quickest way to flunk the prosperity test being administered to you by God right now, the quickest way to flunk the prosperity test is to believe that more is always for you. You want to flunk the prosperity test, just think that the more that you receive is always just for you. All we have to do to fail the test of prosperity is believe that every time God gives us more, that the more is always just for us. And here's an example of how this uh, might play out in your life. Let's say that you make uh, this much money in a year, and I won't assign a dollar value to it. Let's just say it's this much money. This is a bar graph, and you earn this much money or so. And let's say in the average year you spend about this much money. Did you know this is true? Most Americans spend just a bit more than they make every year. Not good news, is it? There's a little gap right here. That's what the credit card companies are for, right? We spend more in a year than we make. There it is. And let's just say that out of the blue, you get a bonus, you get a raise, somebody calls you up on the phone and says, hey, we're going to give you a Christmas gift this year. And whoa, what do you know? All of a sudden, you've got this new money in your family economy. You were not expecting it, but there it is. And you know what this new money in your economy is called? It's called margin. You're going to learn to love this word by the time we're done here today. And all of a sudden, you've got this cool margin of money that you were not at all expecting. Cool. Well, when that kind of thing happens, when this sort of surplus, when this sort of margin shows up in your family's economy, what's the first thing that usually happens? Honestly, here's how it goes. Yes! Praise God! How am I going to spend this? Right? Honestly. That's what most of us do most of the time. And then we set about filling in the blank of how we're going to spend all of that. And I don't know how you fill in that blank, but we do, 
right? Maybe it's redoing the kitchen. Maybe it's going shopping. Maybe it's uh, getting a new car with those butt warmers in the seat. That's how the thinking goes. Yep, I've got this extra. I've got this margin. And so now I can expend this margin on me for what I want. And God is crossing his arms saying, uh-uh, uh-uh. That is how you fail the test of prosperity. We fail the test of prosperity when God gives us, blesses us with margin, and we consume all of the margin just for ourselves. We think that more is just for us. You want to be rich, more is not just for you. Now let's go back to the start of this series. I shared the passage of scripture with you. It did not make the notes page. That's my bad. It did, however, make the screens. And it was the Apostle Paul telling Timothy that rich people need to hear, rich people like us, they need to hear something very, very specific. Now remember, Paul wrote this a couple thousand years ago. It was true of rich people a couple thousand years ago. It's true of us rich people today. First Timothy 6, 17 to 19. Here's what Paul says rich people need to hear. Teach those who are rich in this world, that's us, not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. That sounds like Advent conspiracy kind of stuff, doesn't it? By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure, check this out, as a good foundation for not now, for the future, so that they may experience true life. God says, look, rich people, I want you to experience the very best of every single thing I have to offer not just settle for some imitation, fake, false life. I want you to experience the very best of everything I have to offer. You want to be rich? That's how you do it. That's how you live the true life. If you've been with us through this run of messages, you know that we've been threading this key statement all throughout. We're going to add to it and finish it off today. Here it is. All we've done is add three words from last time. God has blessed me with more than I need. I am rich, but I will not trust in my riches, but in him who richly provides. Because I have more, I will give more. And then here's the three words, and do more. Fill that in, and do more. Let's say that aloud together if we could. God has blessed me with more than I need. I am rich, but I will not trust in my riches, but in him who richly provides. Because I have more, I will give more and do more. And it's been really, really fun to hear lots of you talk about how this run of messages has nudged you in some very cool ways. To you, I say, way to go. I hear lots and lots of you talking about how you're doing what it takes to be rich in a way that honors and pleases God. I hear lots and lots of you talking about how you're giving more than you have in your whole life. That's great. I also, however, hear people saying, I want to give more, and I certainly want to do more, but you're going, I don't know how. I don't know how. How can I give more when I barely have enough to make it through this month? And now that we've added that do more piece to our statement, you're thinking the exact same thing about your schedule. You're thinking, well, of course, I'd love to do more, serve more, give the Lord more of my time, but I am absolutely crushed and overwhelmed right now. I have so much going on. And to you, I say, I know, I know. But I want to give you the how piece of the giving more and doing more right here, right now. This is big. And this could actually 
change your life. And I'm not just being overdramatic. This could actually change your life if you choose to apply this biblical of God principle. And here's what it is. If we're going to give more and do more, we're going to create margin and we're going to ask God to use it. If we're going to give more and we're going to do more, we're going to create margin and we're going to ask God to use it. Check out this text from the Bible about margin, Proverbs 21, 20. The Bible says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Wise people, they have margin, don't they? That's why the wise have wealth and luxury. Foolish people, however, they do not have any margin. Because they consume every single thing that could be margin for them. They blow right through it. They fail the prosperity test because they think that every single thing they ever get is just all for them. All for their consumption. But that is not how we are rich in a way that honors and pleases God. And here's the truth. God can better use people who have margin. God can better use people who have margin. Imagine this. You're blowing through life. You have absolutely no financial margin whatsoever. And all of a sudden, God sends an assignment, a people, person assignment to you. It's someone who's standing before you who has a need. And you have absolutely no financial margin whatsoever. What do you have to say to them in their moment of need? You have to say, no. I I just can't. Why do you have to say no, I can't? It's because you don't have any margin. You spend it all. You spend every last bit of it. And so this assignment from God to you can't really be an assignment from God to you because you have to say no. And the exact same thing happens with our schedules. God may send someone along for you to minister to, but you're all scheduled out. You don't have time. You don't have any time margin. And I'm as guilty as anyone on that deal. God is better able to use people with money margin and with time margin. So how do we remedy that? How do we remedy that? Well, we set about creating margin. We create margin. And then we hold it up to God and we say, God, will you use this margin for you, for your purposes, for your kingdom, for what you have? Let's talk about money margin first. How do we create money margin? Uh, If If this is how much you make, right here, the green line, this is how much you make right here. And if this is how much you spend right here, most of us spending more, actually, than we make in a year. How do we create margin in that kind of a paradigm right there? Well, we have to do something. And the something, number one, is we have to make more right? That's not rocket science. We have to make more. We have to increase this up here somehow, right? We have to make more. And then number two, spend less. We have to get this down here so that there can be margin, obviously, so we aren't spending more than we're making in a year, right? So let's get that down, obviously, and then we have to get somewhere down in here so that there can actually be a margin space in there. We have to make more or we have to spend less, and you know how to make more, 
But some of you, I'm absolutely certain, have never even heard the concept of spending less. Right? So let me unpack it. Get your pens ready, and I'm going to tell you how you spend less. This is brilliant. Here's how you spend less. You spend less. Really. You just spend less. It means that you spend less. And guys, I know. We live, every one of us live in the Gallatin Valley. And yes, we think that we have to have all the stuff that everyone else has. But spending less starts with us as a community not getting sucked into the vortex of what everyone else thinks that you need. Because contrary to conventional wisdom, none of us needs, needs what everyone else has and what everyone else says you need to have to be fulfilled. That First Timothy true life deal does not require what everyone else has. It requires you and Jesus, really. We don't need all that other stuff. So we make more, we spend less, we create margin, and then we hold that up to God. And we say, God, here, will you use this, please? And it's the exact same thing with our schedules. And I'm going to go to meddling here in just a minute. I've got the whiteboard. I'm going to go crazy with the whiteboard in a minute. Because so many of us lack any semblance of margin, especially with our schedules. Some of you sit in here week in and week out and you hear opportunities to serve around the life and ministry and outreach of Journey Church and you immediately say, oh, I'd love to, but I can't. Which is really you saying, I cannot give a couple hours to God. Really, that, that's what, I can't give a couple hours here, I can't give an hour there, I can't give a weekend here. I cannot give anything to God and you can't because of the cultural vortex of busyness has sucked you in and you're just flat busy. Some of us are so busy because we're working too much to buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people that we don't even like. It's another message for another day, though. And here comes the real meddling. Some of us are so incredibly busy because we've somehow bought into the deal that your kids should be pro-athletes by the time they are five years old. And so we put our five-year-olds into whatever traveling sports season it is, and then we take them all over North America for games and tournaments and matches. Really. And you step back a bit from that, and you say, well, why? Why? Because what that's helping you do is it's helping you chew up your financial margin, and it's helping you chew up your schedule time margin. But what, what, do, you, what do you do? It's like everyone's doing it. You step back, and you just say, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to do it anymore. You just learn to say no. Just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean it's right or healthy or good. We're learning to say no more and more at the Hopkins house. We have seven kids, ages five to 16, and we're learning to say no quite frequently, actually. Just one example for you. A couple of days before the Bozeman Blitz uh, soccer signups, that's one of the traveling spring soccer uh, teams, leagues, uh, organizations, whatever. A couple of days before the signup, I knew, the, I knew the due date was coming. And in the days leading up to that registration deadline, I got three recruiting phone calls from three very nice people who I barely know trying to lobby for our sons, Joshua and Silas, to play blitz traveling soccer in the spring. I was really, really grateful for the calls. It was nice of them. But Dan and I had literally, we had counted the cost. We'd gotten the calculator out and we had punched all that out and then we looked at the calendar and the schedule and we determined that we would not have any family margin. 
in any way, financial or schedule, if we scattered out across the countryside for the entire spring trying to chase soccer matches, the real unfortunate deal about it is I can't go to hardly any of those matches, can I? I work weekends, so I'm asking someone else to drag my kids along. See ya. Have a nice weekend. And we just said, "Uh uh-uh. We want to have more financial margin. We want to have some time schedule calendar margin. And we want to have some semblance of sanity in our world. And that's one example just of us being intentional and purposeful, saying no to something that lots and lots of people do. Some people have determined it's not a bad thing for them. Just because it is for us doesn't mean it's bad for them. But just because lots of people are doing something doesn't mean it's healthy either. Now, The downside to this is I'm sure we've ruined our boys' chances of ever being professional soccer players. Probably out of that deal. Sorry. We intentionally do, we don't do what lots of people do. We drastically limit the activities that our kids are involved in day in and day out. Honestly, I am not the typical pastor. The typical pastor in America is out at meetings three, four, five, sometimes six nights a week, and I don't do that. I am not on that treadmill. Most weeks I'm home six nights out of seven for dinner because we have these kids and we get one chance with our kids and we're trying to squeeze the most of that chance, that opportunity that we have. Enough about me, let's talk about you. Let's talk about a couple of ways for you to create some margin in your schedule. One way to think about this is to think about your weekends. Think about your weekends. Most of you have weekends off, I don't. I run on a little different kind of schedule than most people, but most of you have your weekends. Let's pick on Saturdays in particular. You have 52 of them in a year. Let's just say that 50 of them are available for your use. A couple of them, you might have some work-related thing you have to do, so you've got 50 that are yours. And what do most people do with their Saturdays? Well, really, most people leverage their Saturdays to consume their margin don't they? You go to football games, you watch the game on TV, you go to the lake, you do yard work, you go to kids' activities, you have a party at your house. Most people take 50 of their Saturdays and they consume them for themselves. But what if we started thinking about our Saturdays just a bit differently? What if you said, I would like to give a tithe of my Saturdays to God. I'd like to give 10% or so of my Saturdays, five or so Saturdays that I want to devote to God for his use. What have you just done? You've created margin and you've made yourself more available for God to use. That's what it is to create margin and ask God to use it. Now, right out there in the lobby at the conclusion of this experience, there are 20 or so ministry opportunities that God may, and I use the word may, want to use your Saturdays to accomplish. And you might bump into a table, an opportunity out there, you and the Lord in here might sort of sort through that and you say, I want to tithe my Saturdays. And then you'd go out there and you'd say, you know, I've got these Saturdays now and I'm going to use them. I'm going to hold them up to God and say, God, would you use them to make an eternal difference? An eternal difference. And you tithe your Saturdays. Just one way to think about this. Another way to think about this Lots and lots of us will see all those tables out there in the lobby. We'll sort of trip over them on our way out. And we will object with the, I'm just way too busy objection for not serving God. We'll just say, I am way, way too busy. 
And lots of us are way, way too busy because most of us are just plugging things into our calendars because that's what we think we're supposed to do. But what if we came at our time management from the perspective of to whom much is given, much is required? Lots and lots of us sitting in this room, we have financial planners who help us plan for retirement and investment and things like that. But what if we put on our own time management planner hat and we approached our calendar from that kind of perspective. We know certainly that we are on the hook with our financial resources, to whom much is given, much is required. But get this, Jesus' admonition goes all the way to our spiritual giftings as well, not just our financial resources. It's our spiritual giftings, our spiritual resources as well. We are on the hook, Christians. We will be held accountable for how we leverage our spiritual giftings. We're responsible. We will answer to God for how we leverage our spiritual giftings, just like we will be held accountable for how we leverage our financial resources. That means we need to come at our calendars much more strategically, much more intentionally than many of us are and do right now. Let me just sketch this out for you. It'll just take a second. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And lots of us say we're just way, way, way too busy to serve God. But maybe we're just thinking about it Say this is your average week. Here's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, right? Did I get this right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Should take a penmanship class. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There they are. Now, most of us have a job that goes roughly from eight to five or so every day. Roughly, some of us work more, some of us work a little less than that. It's generally around eight to five. And then we've got these weekends, right? Now, here's something that we have to think strategically about, and I'll bet a whole bunch of you aren't even considering it, is what really does your Sabbath look like? What really does your Sabbath, are you Sabbathing? And so, what if for you it's Sunday, and so here it is. This is your Sabbath day, There it is. And then you've got this Saturday, what happens in here. And lots and lots of us, we just approach our calendars from this perspective of, well, when is my open time? Well, there's some open time here, open time here, 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 and here. These are kind of my open times. Maybe some of us have some lunches in here that are open as well. We get to do what we want for lunch and so. And then what so many of us do is we just fill in these spaces with the first opportunity that comes up. Oh yeah, I'm free then. I can do that. But what if we thought more strategically? How are you thinking about leveraging your spiritual gifts inside of these times, these opportunities? Because that's exactly what they are. They are opportunities. And I hear lots and lots of people who say, I go to work, I come home, I eat dinner, I flip on the TV, and and I go to bed. And then I wake up the next day and I do it all over again. And God says, "Uh uh-uh. You are on the hook for your spiritual giftings. You are responsible for stewarding everything that God gives you. That includes your money, and that includes these spiritual resources that he's given you to make a difference. How are you leveraging these times? What are you doing with these times? Are you intentionally and purposefully discipling your kids in these times? Are you just chasing them off to the next sporting event, thinking that's good quality time? 
How are you thinking about ministry in these opportunities? How are you leveraging your lunch hours? Think about the people you could be sitting across the table with at lunches, having spiritual conversations, helping point people to Jesus Christ. How are you thinking about leveraging all of your spiritual opportunities? We're on the hook, folks. We are on the hook. And so you might consider how you're leveraging the available hours you have in your week. And as you walk out into the lobby, you might consider, huh, I know my spiritual gifting is X. Here's an opportunity for me to leverage that spiritual gifting and make a difference, an eternal difference in the life of people. An eternal difference in the life of people, which folks, that's why we're here. We are not here to wake up in the morning, go to an eight to five job making widgets, come home, eat dinner, flip on the TV, and go to bed and wake up the next day and do it all over again. God has a much more purposeful existence in mind for every single one of us, and it includes pointing people to him, helping people take steps of faith toward him, helping people connect with him. Why don't you set your stuff aside and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads if you would. Just go to prayer. Ask God just to continue speaking to your heart about the things we've been thinking about and talking about together. today and you're saying, you know, God, I need your help creating margin in my time and my money. God, I need your help creating margin in my time and my money because I want you to be able to better use me. If that's you today, would you just real boldly slip up your hand and just say, just declare, I'm asking God to open up more margin in my world. Yeah, way to go. Hands all over the room. Way to go. I'm so proud of you to go and then maybe there's those of you who are here today and you're going you know I don't yet know this God I don't yet know this God who loves me so much that he sent his one and only son Jesus Christ on the first Christmas to live to die on the cross to be raised from the dead so that we could live in relationship with him starting right here right now Maybe you don't yet know him, but what if this is your day? What if this is your day? What's keeping you today from inviting Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord right here, right now? If that's the desire of your heart today, I just invite you to tell him as much. You can begin that personal relationship with him right here, right now. You can do it through a prayer that goes something like this. God, I love you. And God, I want a relationship with you. God, I want you to come into my life, please. Forgive me, please. Thank you for loving me so much. And God, I repent. I turn from my sin. I turn from my own path. God, I want to walk your way. And God, for me, that includes opening up margin in my life. 
making more, spending less, opening up margin in my life and holding it up to you and asking you to use it. If that's you today, if that's the prayer of your heart today, would you just real boldly slip up your hand and just say, yep, that's me. I'm asking God to do that in me. I'm stepping across the line of faith. God, we want to steward so well everything that you've blessed us with. We do not take any of it for granted. And we realize it is a gift from your hand to us to be maximized, to be leveraged, to be stewarded for your purposes. Not just hoarding our money and not just hoarding our time and using them for whatever pleasures us. but actually asking you, God, how could I use my time so that you would be pleased, so that your kingdom would be advanced? How could I use my money more effectively, God, so that you would be pleased, so that your kingdom would be advanced right here on earth, just as it is in heaven? God, I pray for the people across the community of Journey Church that as they walk out those doors, as they see about 20 or so opportunities to serve, that you would give them wisdom and that you would give them clarity, that you would draw their hearts to the ministries and to the opportunities that you actually created us for, and that there would be a resonance and that there would be a connection, that there would be a divine encounter as we step into a ministry opportunity that we were made for before the beginning of time, God, that you had in mind for us. From the laying of the foundations of the earth, God, and that we would cross the line into your purpose. We would cross the line into why we're here, which isn't just a pastime. It's to make a difference for you. Help us do that, please, God.